All right, I hope you're ready. This is the last part of our Love Your Neighbor series. And over the previous three weeks, we've laid out a lot of groundwork, and now we're just going to finish this series off. Of course, loving your neighbor is not a one-off experience. It's a lifelong service to Jesus Christ. And so I realize I'm going to wrap this up today, but the truth is that in Europe and around the world, that Jesus, the message of His incredible saving grace, needs to be communicated to people with acts of kindness and with love and with compassion. And it's with that thought we open the Word together today. And I just pray to God that you are challenged not to just be a hearer of the Word, but to go out and to practically meet people's needs around you. So come on, let's get started. The gospel's so simple. Can we just make it simple again, church? Can we just bring Jesus to people who don't know him again? Can we just make it simple, make it simple, make it simple? People out there, they don't need to know eschatology or end time theology. They just need to know that there's a hope for their life right now today. And that's why we have to be so clear about this. Now, I'm not saying we don't study and we don't read, but I want to bring it down to this aspect that if you're not in a place where you're living it, then... What you're studying is not lining up with the adventure and experience that God has for you. Why are we seeing, you know, people in our community water baptized on a Saturday? Because people in life groups are taking the gospel of Jesus Christ out. And we can tell you story after story after story. But, but this is so important because God wants you to understand what it means to be sent this morning. And I know there are lots of reasons why we should get into this. Oh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get here now. And I've got five top reasons why people do not share in their neighborhood. But first, let me just focus on this. Because Jesus, he said then, in answer to all this question, he said, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then he came up with this great story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. That was a 3,000 foot drop from Jerusalem to Jericho. That was called the bloody path in the New Testament times, and that path was full of robbers around blind corners and people waiting to attack people on the road. But of course, nowadays, we don't think about that because it's lost in our cultural understanding of the Bible. But then, back in the day, as soon as Jesus said, from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was like, that's a dark place? Why are you on that dark road? That's a dangerous road. Well, Jesus is saying it because it had been a long time since that lawyer had been in a place where he was uncomfortable himself. And so he needed him to identify and understand God is going to send us to difficult places so that he can turn them around. Warsaw, Poland might be a difficult place, but there is harvest awaiting us in Warsaw, Poland. That's why we're going there. When he fell into the hands of robbers, this person, he was stripped of his clothes, he was beaten down, and he was left as half dead. A priest, this is the first character I want to focus on. A priest happened to be going by. He was going down the same road. But when he saw the man, he went to the other side and passed on by. Wow. See, some Bible apologetic teachers, theologians, they say, really, the priest didn't see the man. But here it's clear. He saw the man and he went to the other side of the road. He didn't just walk by him. He got as far away from that dying, bleeding man as he could and went right on by. And then the next person was a Levite. A Levite was a worshiper. A Levite was, you know, this incredible, gifted, talented person. 
and, and he had a job where he would work for the synagogue. He also saw the bleeding, dying man, got to the other side of the road, and passed right on by. But the Samaritan, Jesus said, stopped where the man was, took pity or had compassion on him, went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he put the man on his own donkey. That's how we know that this Samaritan was a wealthy, successful person because he had his own mode of transport, a donkey, put the hurting, dying, bleeding man on this possession that he had, this donkey, let him bleed all over the donkey, and then he took him with him, took him to a a hotel, and gave two days wages, the Bible records, two denarii, two days wages, so that this person could be led to recovery. Not only that, he said, and I'm going to come back. This is my name. These are my banking details. I'm coming back to take care of everything. Wow. And then Jesus brought it back to this expert in the law and the conversation and said to him, go and do likewise. End of the story. Wow. That just turned around this whole trap that this lawyer was into. And Jesus used this Samaritan who was the most hated person from the most hated culture in his day. And Jesus used that Samaritan, that racial outcast, that person that was just totally beyond the grace of God in the minds of the Jewish culture to use him as the analogy to make the point God uses the broken, the forgotten, the useless, those who have made huge mistakes in life. God picks them to be his trophies of grace. If you've got a problem with that, you argue with God. Because that's what Jesus Christ continues to do. And that's what he did there. Now, to bring it home to our setting, I mean, are we to be priests or Levites who have our own great Sunday morning experience? And then forget the Muslims in our community? God help us. Are we to be those that overlook the broken and the needy? God help us. God forgive us. This is a call for compassion in our house this morning. How compassionate are you for your neighborhood? Top five reasons why people do not share with their neighbors is this. Number five is this, overgrowing gardens. Can you believe this is a reason why people don't share with their neighbors, overgrowing gardens? And all these five, these are all things that I've gone through in my life. I have actually been frustrated at times with my neighbor because they have an overgrowing garden and I'm like and that's the reason to fall out hello number four number four is this parking in front of my house oh my gosh there goes the neighborhood I love you with the love of Jesus but don't you dare park in front of my drive you park in front of my drive and you cut me off and I can't get my school run out in the morning I can't get there on time look out in my neighborhood Not me, but I have heard cussing, swearing, all kinds of horrible shouting in my neighborhood because someone is parked in front of the house. I just want you to know it's not your pastor, all right? But I have heard it in the neighborhood. This is not a reason to let bitterness foster. And yet this is locking up people in neighborhoods all across the world today. Something as foolish as this. And we're willing to let it go for eternity. Number three is this. Number three, noisy neighbors. Have you ever lived in an apartment? I lived in an apartment when I was a first Christian. And the walls were so thin that I could hear everything in the house 
next door. And when they would have a, you know, a DJ going on and the music, the bass would kick in and I could not sleep. And I get so mad. And I'd like want to get up in the middle of the night and pound on the door and say, turn your music off. But of course I couldn't because God commanded me to love them. And this is the big issue for some of you. You remember the moment when this happened or they trashed your house or they trashed your neighborhood and you stopped. You do not have the right to withhold the words of grace and love if you've been through these kinds of experiences. You may want to, but Jesus did give you the right. He still commands you to go. Number two is this. Boundary line disputes. Come on, can we get real? Some of these issues go way back with your neighbors. They go way back 10 years, 20 years. Some of you have solicitors involved in this occasion right now. You need to find a way to make peace with your neighbors and move forward. If you lose a couple of feet, hey, come on, make a call on it, compromise, and move forward. Life is too short for you to live angry with the person next to you or the person hurting. Come on, I'm just appealing to the church today to live a higher way and to be smarter about some of these issues that lock people up. Come on, somebody just clap. You'll make me feel better. Number one. And this is, this is from my journey. This is the number one reason why I struggle with loving my neighbors. Okay, this is as bad as it gets. This is reality. Failure to control your animals. On the very Sunday when Charlotte preached that message, the first time on Love Your Neighbor, I walked out the front door to come to church in the morning, and there I was greeted by a present right there by my car. And to make matters worse, one of my kids accidentally stood in it. And suddenly I thought, hallelujah, I'm going to church. I felt like giving up. I felt like saying to my neighbor, neighbor, control that animal. But that stupid dog, he comes over and he marks his boundaries and he marks his territories because I also have a dog. And my dogs are not at peace in the neighborhood with each other. And there are currently these wars. Now, here's the thing. I could have fallen out with my neighbor over this issue, but I've learned this. Flip and just get a bag, a doggy poo bag, scoop it up, throw it in the bin, and move on. End. It costs, takes 30 seconds of my life, and I'm moving forward. It's the end of the conversation. But what often people do is they use silly, stupid things like this to become reasons to not witness, to not share with your neighbor. And if you have justified this, that's because you don't understand that being a neighbor is not about your geographical location. It's about your cardiographic condition. In other words, where is your heart condition? Because wherever you go through life, that's where your neighbor is. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, this morning, you're my neighbor. And I love you. I want to buy you lunch. Or at least the Starbucks after the service. Here's where it gets real in church. We are so trained. We're so conditioned to not interact in society. To not embrace others. And so I am challenging Jock James to a doorstep challenge this week. I'm bringing it up. I'm challenging Rich Martin to a doorstep challenge. 
I'm going to even go a step further. I'm going to go way out there and go, I'm challenging Phil Cobain to a doorstep challenge this week. You see, I challenged my campus pastor last week in Belfast. He had never knocked on a door, not given away a basket, not given away a, a, you know, a, a gift basket like we give, not personally. And now, so I said, Owen, what we're going to do is we're going to sacrifice our lunch today. Cost us 10 pounds. Instead, we went to a corner store and it was so fun. We're trying to figure out how much we can get for 10 pounds. So cool. And I go and I like, there's a box of biscuits that was two pound 50. And so we're going to the counter. Hey, can we get, can we get 50p knocked off? Is that cool? If we buy like, can you throw in an extra one or an extra two? And we're bartering. And she's like, who are these crazy people at the petrol station trying to buy these biscuits? And we bought them. And then I had to get to the airport to get back for the evening meeting. But we just had an hour and we went out in one of the areas in Belfast that some people don't like to go. But we went out and we knocked on the door. I'll tell you what was amazing, what we found. The fear when people open the door going, I don't know you. Why, why are you knocking on my door? And then to be able to say, we're just here because we just want you to have some biscuits with your tea this morning. There you go. Love you. Have a great life. We're from Live Church. Awesome. They're like, what? This lady said to me, so, um, like, are you a Mormon then? And I'm like, no, I'm not a Mormon. No. She goes, well, are you, are you like that JW person then? I'm like, no, I'm a Christian. She goes, oh, that's good then. I'll take all your biscuits. <laughs> I thought, I like you already. And she took the biscuits and disappeared behind the door. And then there was a child crying on the street corner. Kid was about six or seven years old, screaming, 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 crying. And so I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to give this kid biscuits. So I run up to give the kid biscuits, but of course I do the right thing. I talk to the adult that was standing with the child. Is it okay to give your child biscuits? I'm going to give you biscuits. And, and, you know, then you can do that. All of a sudden, the mama comes around the corner. Why are you talking to my child? And the mama just came out of church. She said, why are you talking to my child? I said, I'm giving your child biscuits because she was crying. And she goes, but why are you talking to my child? I'm like, well, because I just want to bless your child and bless you and say to you, have a great day. Do I know you? No, you don't know me. I'm just here because I'm just doing this random act of kindness for your child. Why are you talking to me? (laughs) On the street corner, she's looking around like, what's the deal? Come here. Because Owen was there too, our campus pastor, Owen Crane. Why is he talking to me? (laughs) Owen's like, well, he's trying to just help your kid. Your kid was crying and we thought we had these biscuits. And she's like, I don't get it. And she genuinely could not process a random act of kindness. I'll tell you how that conversation finished. It finished with me taking 10 minutes to say, hey, you know what? God loves you. I love you. I don't know you, but I, I love you anyways. But that's not weird or anything. And, and, and she was like, what does that mean? I'm like, well, you know, Jesus Christ, he died. She goes, yeah, yeah. She goes, I, I get that. She goes, in fact, I just been to church. <laughs> she literally walked out of the church building in the worship and was on the street corner less than five minutes after the church finished and was so shocked. And I thought it was so interesting that the person who was the most, should I say meanest, most inquisitive, was the person that was in church. I thought, wow, the woman 
that I just knocked at the door to, hey, she was like, give me the biscuits. Come on, I'm going to, I'm going there. But the one that was conditioned to keep the church experience within the four walls of a two-hour service, of course, I didn't give up. You know me, I don't give up. By the end of that conversation, I had that lady laughing. I was high-fiving that lady. She was going, I never had this before. This is the coolest thing. And she was embarrassed that she was like, what are you doing? That her reaction was so wrong. And I was able to help restore a sense of humanity in a city that's been known for hatred. A city that's been known for prejudice that goes so far back that people are conditioned to hate each other. And I'm bringing that to this church now to say, don't be surprised if people don't get your Samaritan act of kindness. Don't be surprised if when people say, what are you doing trying to talk to me about you know, being kind and finding God? In fact, I expect that's the reaction we're going to get. But don't give up. But don't give up. But don't give up, church, because too many Christians are giving up and they can't give up. Jesus Christ is not giving up on the world, so why should we? And I've realized for Life Church in this series, we won't finish it until we have this sense, okay, church, we're together, we got it, we're ready to love your neighbor as ourselves, and we'll go out and do it. All right, well, that wraps up this Love Your Neighbor series in terms of a teaching. And now it's time to get busy and get practical and start doing it. You know, I wanted to say as you as you move forward and recognize some of the opportunities and start doing acts of kindness, hey, don't be discouraged if at first you don't see immediate breakthrough. When my father, Dennis, when he and I began to talk about Jesus, that was 30 years ago, and my dad said to me, Steve, I'm not really interested. I probably will never come to church, but I prayed, we had conversations, and then eventually, 30 years later, just this last summer, I had the joy and privilege of seeing my dad accept Jesus Christ. It was awesome. Put his hand up in a meeting and prayed a salvation prayer. And I tell you what, I will never forget that moment. And I bring that to your attention to say, don't give up. Keep believing God for your neighbors and for your close family members and for acquaintances and even for strangers that you meet. Keep doing good. And if we have that mentality and that mindset, We will transform local churches, we'll see neighborhoods won to Christ, and even nations will be changed if we stay in this attitude of believing. So as we finish and you go out to do your acts of kindness and you take action, hey, write to us at hello at lifechurchhome.com. We would love to hear about your stories and about your adventures as you move forward. And we hope you stay with us. And let's believe God together that we can make a massive difference in our generation.